electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, rally and risk. As stocks continue to fight their way back, is there really enough to keep this rally going? Or is there simply just too much to worry about? Russia rates the reality of this brave new world. We take it to the Investment Committee, as always. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Degas Wright, Joe Terranova, and John Najarian is the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. It's just past 12 in the east. I'll show you what stocks are doing. They're a little lower today. Dow's down 250. S&P's down 16. NASDAQ's made a burst positive by about 25 points. There's the yield, 10-year note, 237. We took care of some technical stuff, Joe. The S&P's coming off its first close above the 200-day moving average since the middle of February. So we, you know, about a month ago, bullish sentiment, by the way, is on the rise. It's increased to 35.3 from 30.6 in the latest U.S. Investors Intelligence poll. And you, my friend, are growing more bullish yourself, at least in the near term. You think we can get to 45.50 now on the S&P 500, and you are a buyer as a result. Talk to me. Sure, Absolutely. Solely by relying on the technicals I mentioned on Monday, uh, you had a momentum trade that was setting up with a very low risk and a high reward potential. That was a close above the 200-day moving average. Confirmed. You got that. That leads uh, uh, to the path of 45.50 for the S&P 500. And I think your stop on this is, as I said before, low risk, 44.60 basically, on a closing basis, where that number comes from is those are the levels of the last three days. You had two closes there on Friday and Monday. Uh, the day that we're having today, Scott, I'll take it. This, this, is, this is a resilient day. Uh, you're seeing oil prices rise back significantly. And let's remember, a lot of the rally that we have uh, appreciated here in the last week has occurred with oil prices up 20%. Treasury yields rising at the same time as this conversation now about their great reallocation out of treasuries into equities actually unfolding. So I think we got a nice little technical setup here. As I said, low risk, high reward, 45.50, long S&P futures. That's the way I'm playing it right now and obviously maintaining a lot of my portfolio holdings. I'll tell you, maybe the most bullish sign yet that I've seen is Joe's whiteboard. Look at the whiteboard. It has a lot of writing on it again. For a while, we were in the midst of a correction or right before it, the whiteboard was empty. And that was maybe the biggest tell that we got to look out. Now, it's littered with writing. Numbers all over the place. You didn't even go into the stocks that you bought no, more it, of, which I was trying to prompt you to. And that is Deer and Archer Daniels mm -hmm. Midland. Love the agriculture trade. You know, if you think about it, and I know Mark Fisher's been on the air talking about this. There's no OPEC. There, there's there's no way to increase the supplies. It's spring plantings, and we're falling behind here. 
uh, we, we've got a real challenge, and I think Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell understands that in terms of what we're putting on the breakfast table. Agriculture is a problem. So Archer Daniels, Midland, John Deere, this is, this is the way to get that exposure. I've been talking about it over the last couple of months, and I'm just going to continue to buy it. And on, on your point about what's on the whiteboard, what's on the whiteboard yeah. is what Tom Lee is going to talk to you about this afternoon. It's all the historical statistics suggesting that the second half of the year and the first quarter of next year line up to be strong. Okay, yep. Tom Lee is going to be with me in overtime. He's going to be on set with me as well at the New York Stock Exchange. His first in-person interview, he says, since 2019. So I can't wait to shake his hand and welcome him to overtime. And we'll talk about the markets later. All right, John Nigerian. Jim Cramer says, historically, when we have gone down this much and then you have a 50% retracement, it usually means all clear. Are we in all clear? Uh, well, we could be, Scott. Uh, I'm certainly not one of those who panicked on the way down and called it a bear market or whatever, or is saying that we're going to scream to the upside. Um, what we've talked about with you over and over again has been the three V's basically volume, velocity, uh, and when we see these kinds of moves out of the market, um, whether it is that volume that's heavy, velocity, which is speed, and the speed that Joe just talked about, when we had that big jump, Scott, in uh, uh, 2021, in one month, we saw the 10-year rate go from basically under 1% to 1.7%. Um, that was a 75% move in one month. We've seen a much more measured pace now, even though it's higher. It's up to 237 for the 10-year. So that being measured is far more to the market's liking. So is Jim right? Jim certainly could be. Like I say, I was neither huge bear or huge bull on this move. I've just been sticking with my tech stocks, not thinking that they get broken up by a little moved higher by the bond vigilantes or anybody else. Because keep in mind, the Fed has only made a quarter point move here, Scott. I know you know that and talk about it all the time, but a quarter point move. And meanwhile, the market, uh, the bond market, that is, has moved all the way from basically 150 level all the way up to 237, although not just in a quick move like that. It's been stair stepping up like that. So the bond market is doing most of the heavy lifting, not the Fed. And that's a good thing right now. Mm -hmm. That's why the Fed hasn't had to make that 50 basis point move. You feel like, Degas, that the, the proverbial tide is, is, is turning a little bit. I mean, Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG, we talk about him all the time because we like his technical analysis. And he has suggested... You really can't call the bottom because we didn't have that big whoosh that you normally get during periods that are uncertain like this. And now even he, even Jonathan Krinsky now says, well, we could still go higher from here. Rotation between sectors can prolong the rally, he says. And while we thought 4,500 might provide a near-term ceiling, there isn't a ton of resistance between here and 4,600. It goes to Joe's 4,550. Maybe Krinsky says you can even go a little bit further. What do you think, Degas? Yeah, so what I'm thinking is that if we look at the overall market, we finished uh, fourth quarter 2021 at a GDP growth of about 7%. As we get into first quarter, we're looking at the GDP now forecast by the uh, Atlanta Fed being 1.3% growth for the quarter. 
So Scott, what's that saying to us is that the economy is slowing down. We probably had most of the interest rate movement in that fourth quarter into first quarter. So what this says is sets up a really nice uh, setup here for the market to continue to go up. And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this is an opportunity to continue to stay fully invested. Uh, we are fully invested through this period. We didn't get really scared by the uh, downside of the market. So to your point, this is sets up a good setup. Interest rates are coming down. So this could set up for the Federal Reserve not to have so many rate hikes because we're looking at the Fed funds rate being about 1.25 by the end of the year, which know. means that that's going to be a Fed rate hike of about know. four rate hikes. Rates coming down. Rates I, aren't I think, coming you know, down. Rates, rates have been going up, Degas. Rate, no. Rates were up like 10% ah, in see, a couple of days. Now, I'm not talking about, I mean, today, but is that really the environment that we're in? If you look at the GDP growth, you're going to see first quarter is going to be much lower than fourth quarter 2021. You know, we had a 7% growth rate inflation in 2021 fourth quarter. First quarter is going to be much lower and it may be around 2%. The GDP forecast is saying 1.3. So when that number comes out, you're going to see a much lower economy coming into first quarter. And as we get into second quarter, we're probably going to see a little bit higher rate, probably around 4% because we're going to have the supply chain constraints loosening up. And also commodities will probably get a little bit better. So we're probably going to have a little bit higher rate in the second quarter. But we're looking for about a 2% first quarter, 4% second quarter. So we are seeing the economy slow down. We are a little bit. What do you think, Shannon? Where are we going <laughs> from here? I mean, let's say that Joe's right. We can get 4550 and maybe Krinsky is right. And we get all the way up to 4600. I mean, at some point. Doesn't the Fed have a, a ceiling over the S&P 500 because of what it's going to do on interest rates? Well, I think there's sentiment. And then I think what the actual economic transmission of what the Fed is going to do from a rate perspective are two different things. So, you know, if we're, we're actually sitting here at the end of the year and we're at 225, um, think about the areas of growth in the economy and how restrictive that would be. We, we have plenty of room to move as it relates to financial conditions. Our friend Liz Young put up a great chart on Twitter earlier today showing how much further financial conditions could tighten to get us back to pre-pandemic levels. And I think what we need to think about is where does that growth come from? We're also entering the third year of this bull market. And frankly, you know, the range of outcomes in the third year of a bull market that we've seen historically has been a, a, a you know, a, a narrower range of outcomes. And so if we think about it in terms of potential volatility, if you think about it in terms of where do we go in the second half of the year and to Joe's point into next year, certainly seems like we're going to have higher equity prices. Um, and that's where you're going to want to be. But I don't think we're looking for or we aren't necessarily looking for another blockbuster year as we had last year. Um, so I think investors need to be realistic about the types of companies, the industries that could potentially continue to grow their earnings in the second half of the year. I think an emphasis on quality and fundamentals is going to be much more important. And to Degas's point, the economy economy is slowing down, but there is a big difference between an economy slowing down based on comps over a pandemic 
period, as we saw last year, versus an economy that is truly slowing down because we've peaked. Um, and I think that we need to accept slower growth, but that doesn't necessarily point to a recession. Um, so watching the yield curve, watching the, the, the three-month and the 10-year spread is going to be important. But I think, again, being selective about what industries you think are going to benefit, perhaps not on the input side, but on the end product side in the second half of the year, is your best bet in, in being properly positioned. So, Joe Terranova, I mean, let, let's, let's get real here. And I think you, you said something really important in your opening remarks here about technically we've erased some of the damage. And sure, the stock picture looks mm-hmm. better today than it did a few weeks ago. But does anything else... Are we really better off today than we were three weeks ago in terms of what's really at stake here? You could make an argument, and I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here against, against some, some folks who are, who are fairly positive. You can make the argument that things are worse. The Fed is going to be more aggressive, right? I mean, they're even throwing out 50 on the table. We know it's coming. It's just a matter of when. That's my feeling. Maybe I'm wrong. The war in Russia, that doesn't seem to be uh, closer to an end at, at this point. Mm-hmm. We think that earnings are going to begin to slow, that it's just a matter of time. That's what Mike Wilson told us mm-hmm. the other day. I want you to listen to what Carl Icahn told me yesterday in OT. I think we do have a lot of trouble ahead. When it happens, so I've told you this many times, on the short term, I don't think anybody can really predict it. I, I think there's just too many variables in this type of a market. I think there very well could be a recession or even worse. My point, Joe, is like beyond some technical tailwind that we may have at our back now because of the Mm -hmm. reversal in the market. What do we got? Well, what's the underpinning to take us even higher? Well, I I think the the one aspect where markets feel a degree of comfort is that a more aggressive Fed is actually a more credible Fed because I think markets looked at the Federal Reserve – kind of scratched their head and said, wait a minute, you're not seeing what markets are actually telling you. Uh, but beyond that, I'm going to agree with you. I, I completely agree with you. And I said this, said it on Monday. All we've done is reversed a lot of negative sentiment and a lot of technical damage. We haven't improved upon the fundamentals of companies that are not profitable, who are going to be even more challenged as rates continue to rise. And I suspect that rates are going to continue to rise. You do have select stocks that have the ability to endure an inflationary environment by passing on the rising costs that they're incurring to a strong consumer. And to Shannon's point, those are the companies that I want to allocate towards. But you're you're 100% correct. What I'm doing here is I'm reacting to the market and I'm accepting a very low-risk high-reward scenario that suggests breaking above a 200-day moving average is going to give me another 75 handles in the S&Ps. Does it improve the fundamental picture for a lot of the companies that I defined before? Without question, it does not. What if, what if, what if I say this, Doc? What if I say, okay, well, uh, Mr. Wapner, um, inflation may be <laughs> peaking, and maybe the economy's strong enough to withstand whatever the Fed's going to do. How about that? Why don't you take that to your bank? And that's why that the market, after having its upset and now fighting its way back, can continue to go higher. Am I right or wrong? You're right. That is the way I'm looking at it, Scott. Um, Again, volume, volatility, velocity. If we don't have that velocity 
of rates moving higher like that, uh, then the market can deal with it. Consumers, yeah, the consumer is going to be impacted by the sort of uh, mortgages they can get, the sort of car loans they can get. There is no doubt about that. But we're talking about two things that are in very short supply anyway, Scott, um, both automobiles as well as uh, real estate. So I, I wouldn't think that that's a bad thing that means, oh, my gosh, you know, time to sell everything because consumers are having to cut back. They're spending more on gas. That's a fact. I saw just this morning, Scott, that L.A. averages over $6 a gallon. That's from a, you know, a regular uh, mainstream media. That's not like some uh, Yahoo post or something like that. So can consumers weather that? Yeah. Do they like it? Of course, no. But can they weather that? Yes. And so to your point, um, I think uh, rates going higher is what most of us, I would believe virtually everybody on your show, expects over the next six to nine months as we finish off 2022. But that's not going to be bad if it's not fast. If it's fast, then that's going to be bad. If it's not fast, then I think we can handle it. The market and demand, consumer demand, still remains very, very high. We've seen that from most of the good providers to consumers right now. How much J. Jill, for instance, um, goes up despite the fact that shipping costs were up $60 million and things like that. Um, we've seen this across the board that consumers are still spending. Nike, you and I talked about it Monday. They blew out those numbers, mm -hmm. um, supply chain issues, all the good things that we looked for were there in that report. Right, but the, the question is, we just don't know whether it's going to continue or not. You know, we, we, we can say the consumer is strong today. This is like the Jim mm -hmm. Labenthal mm -hmm. argument. Consumer super strong. What do you mean? Yep. You can't even get a hotel room. You can't get a seat on a plane. Well, what do you mean earnings are going to slow? Earnings are strong today. Do you see what Nike reported the other day? Yep. The, the big question, though, mm -hmm. Doc, is can it last? Can it last under the weight of continued inflation? Can it all last under the weight of rate hikes and adjust a fundamentally different environment that we're walking into? I think it can, Scott, and here's one of the reasons. Uh, for instance, uh, Chevron, they have a bunch of steel workers, I believe, out in California um, that are uh, basically going out on strike because they were offered a 2.5% raise they expected and wanted 5 um, So the company offered them 25 I bet ultimately, Scott, next week at this time, you and I are talking about them getting that increase because costs are going up. Um, and... Obviously, earnings have been going up rather dramatically at most of these firms, Chevron in particular. So I think the consumer is going to be rewarded. Those that are out there working are going to find they're earning more. And I think that is one of the issues that the Fed will pay attention to. But on the other hand, they don't want to slam that. They don't want to play whack-a-mole on that one. They want to let um, the consumer uh, earn more money right here because they need it to pay for the higher energy, food, and the rest. So I think that's something that as long as it's not too fast, will be just fine, and we'll see consumers and companies continuing to do well. That is the delicate balancing act in which the Fed finds itself right now. And it remains to be yep. seen if it can True. navigate it correctly and Jay Powell can engineer a soft landing amid a lot of doubts as to whether he in fact can. And even he admits, while confident, <coughs> of course, that it's going to be tough, that it's going to be difficult. I want to yep. know what to do with this tech trade. 
right now because tech is up 10.5% from its low on March 14th, a week ago. Look how far tech's come. The software, semis, cloud, overall, the XLK. You have a bunch of positive calls or reiterations on your favorite names today, whether it's Apple, Netflix, Facebook, Amazon, or NVIDIA. Jim Cramer, do we have the sound from Cramer or just this verbatim? All right. Jim Cramer said as well, and I like to quote Jim uh, because he's always on point. Yesterday, uh, speaking of, of the bounce in tech, was a very convincing bounce, he said. I'd be tempted to buy the stocks that are coming off. Even Meta is interesting here, he said. There are a lot of stocks that are very, very interesting, particularly FANG stocks that have gone down a lot. Degas, what do we think about that? Yeah, we agree with that because if you look at the FANG stocks, and let's just talk about Apple. Apple's business case has not changed. We still have the strong fundamentals. You still have the ecosystem for Apple products and services. And so that hasn't changed. The um, thesis hasn't changed around Apple. The catalysts have not changed. What we did see is that we had negative market sentiment. The market sold off names like Apple, uh, Meta, uh, Microsoft. They sold it off, but it was not tied to fundamentals. What we're seeing now, the market is returning to fundamentals. And as long-term investors, that's what we focus on. So we did not sell off any of our stocks as the market went down because we knew that the business case still carries forward. You know what, Shan? I'm looking at Apple, and maybe that's the most important story in the whole market right now, that Apple got down to like 150, right? It was like right at 150, and that wasn't that long ago. That was at March 14th. The stock closed at 150 and 62 cents. And here it is battling all the way back to 171. And remember, at that time, we had the conversation. Look, if Apple breaks down further than where it is now, we got a big problem. In fact, just the opposite happened. And now Apple's not all that far away from its, its all-time high. I mean, Apple's at 171, and the high's 182. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems pretty incredible, right, Scott, if you think about where we were just a few weeks ago and thinking about the tail on this growth uh, sell-off that we were experiencing. And I think it, it sort of speaks to some of the things we've been talking about as it relates to what is the true impact of the Fed in terms of raising interest rates. I come back to, you know, if we are indeed moving towards a sustainably lower growth environment, back to where we were in 2018 and 2019, if we are moving into that narrower range of outcomes, if you think about the FANGs, what they offer and afford you are strong balance sheets, free cash flow, the ability to make tuck-in acquisitions, the ability to innovate, and most importantly, the ability to grow their earnings even against a backdrop where they do not have some of the secular tailwinds that we've been experiencing the last two years. And I would argue that um, Joe made a comment a long time ago, and I remember it. He said something about being able to not not have a second release of pent-up demand post-pandemic. I actually think that we've seen several smaller releases of pent-up demand here and in China, and we are going to see, as it relates to Apple, continued consumer strength because we haven't had our demand met in this post-pandemic world. And so whether it's enterprise spend or whether it's consumer spend, whether it's Amazon and Apple or Google or Microsoft, I feel like there are still opportunities for us to be able to grow earnings, perhaps not received the multiple expansion that we've been afforded the last few years. But why wouldn't you want to have these these names in your portfolio? And we're seeing that true differentiation between the high-flying stocks that were work from home and real 
enterprises that can continue to grow against a more uncertain growth backdrop. John Ajarian, this move in Apple, I mean, it was really, it was the debut day of overtime uh, on March 14th, mm -hmm. as I said. Somebody calling me now. Um, and that's when the stock <laughs> went all the way down. And I said at that point in time, watch out. If this stock breaks down, we, we got a bigger problem. And in fact, the opposite has happened. As I said, it's pushing $172, 10 bucks from its high. Yeah, and you heard what Dan Ives had to say. Um, a number of other strategists have talked about this. Um, and I think the, the issue here, Scott, is that um, the time to buy, uh, Jim's being a very cautious guy, buying them after this pretty significant rebound. Um, I don't like catching a falling knife, but I do like buying on those big sell-offs unless something fundamentally changed about the story with Apple or Microsoft, again, two of my largest holdings, and nothing fundamentally changed. Um, did the, is the war going on still? Absolutely. Um, is Apple still crushing it? And are they still going to see another cycle heading into this fall? That's what I believe. And that's why, you know, with the stock at 150 or 148, whatever the low was on that day, I think that was the opportunity. Again, you have to be willing to catch the falling knife uh, or you can wait $20 and jump in at 170. Um, I didn't flush it out when we hit 150. I was adding call spreads and I'm still in it now and I'm not taking profits. I think this one continues to work and grind its way higher. And then maybe we get some sort of innovative thing or uh, the fact that so many more people are using their products, including cloud, um, means that they're just going to be on the services side, Scott, just crushing it. So, yeah, I think you have to be willing to uh, get a little blood on your hands from catching that falling knife once in a while. But if the fundamental story did not change, that's your reason to buy on those big dips rather than chasing it after it's made a $20 or $22 rebound. Well, I, did, I don't know if you were in on the same trades that Pete was a, a day ago, but when he was with us yesterday... He said he had more options mm -hmm. action going on than he's had in, in a long time, some 50 or so trades, and, and a bunch of those were Meta and Microsoft. And in these large names yep. in technology that we're talking about, he was betting on some near-term upside, and lo and behold, here we go. Yep, and the same thing was occurring, um, again, just seven trading days ago, Tesla was in the mid-700s, Scott. Uh, today, it trades into the almost um, 1050 level. 1030 was just a little bit ago, 1,030 bucks a share. Um, so that's how fast it happens. Same thing with the Chinese internet stocks. They were pouring money into these stocks on that March 8th through March 14th area. That's the time to chase in. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to dump them now. I'm just saying that you know, if you're willing to make those trades, and the reason Pete was trading so many options was he can define his risk when he enters. I was doing the same thing. You do you trade stocks uh, on that with that same outlook. Um, you're not defining your risk. You could find that an after-hours trade, bang, you're down 10% in the stock. I would much rather be in those derivative trades just like Pete was doing yesterday. Well, of course, because as he has said in some of the more speculative areas of the market, he wouldn't, you know, touch the stock with a 10-foot pole, but he'd happily play the derivatives market because you better define your risk, as you, you said. Bet. And obviously, if you know what you're doing, like you guys do, you can be yeah. successful 
at doing that. All right, mm -hmm. we're going to take a quick break. Energy is leading the way today and for the year, as you know. Up next, we'll hit one bullish note out on one big oil stock. Degas owns it. The trade in the debate is next in our call of the day. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. NATO now estimates between seven and 15,000 Russian soldiers have been killed during a month of fighting in Ukraine. That's according to a senior NATO official who spoke to the Associated Press. Russia has not updated its official death toll in nearly three weeks, but at that time, Russia said 498 of its troops had died in the conflict. Ukrainian President Zelensky telling French lawmakers that French companies must leave Russia. He also said that they must stop sponsoring Russia's war machine. He called out several companies, including carmaker Renault. Renault has not immediately responded to Zelensky's comments. And in New Orleans, one death has been confirmed after a tornado touched down in the city overnight. The path of destruction stretched about two miles, much of it near the lower Ninth Ward, which of course suffered heavy damage in Hurricane Katrina and again during Hurricane Ida. And on the news tonight, a miraculous story of survival inside a tornado. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you very much. Rahel Solomon. All right, BP upgraded to overweight at Morgan Stanley today. They say it's undervalued. We say it's our call of the day. Degas says you should own it because he does. Am I right? Exactly, because what we look at is that this has one of the highest distribution yields because as you look at the company, it actually has a yield of about 4%. Plus, it's actually sending back more capital to uh, shareholders. The reason why we like it also is that, one, it did have a exposure to Russia, uh, about $20 billion. They divested there. And also, it has great pipeline of properties that will be producing oil. Now, what it's also doing is that it reduced its uh, outlook for energy production, fuel production, in 2030. However, what it has is it has a very aggressive transition plan to alternative energies, and it's actually starting to focus on that piece of the business. So it's going from fossil fuel to alternative energies with a really solid transition plan, and that's why we like it. Joe, my question to you, has oil topped out? And I ask you that because when I was talking to Icon yesterday and we were talking about Oxy and why he sold the rest of his position, and it had made a move from like 10 to 65, you know, he went through some of the parameters of it and said, yeah, well, it's kind of a 
a call on oil and where it's going. Oil's had a huge move. Are we topped out? It, it, it's kind of interesting because uh, hearing your question, I'm reminded of the October note, which we all debated from Marco Kalanovic, where he talked about oil at 130, a 10-year at 2.5%, and that we had the ability to handle it. Well, guess what? That's basically where oil and treasury yields went. So I do think uh, that what we witnessed in the oil futures was a little bit of a, a parabolic move once the U.S., confirmed its position on Russian oil a few weeks back. Um, That being said, I think the market ultimately is going to settle into a range. I don't think the bottom falls out of the market, even if Russia and Ukraine are to uh, completely resolve this conflict. I think the price of oil still is going to find its bottom somewhere around 85 to 90 dollars. And that's going to work well for energy companies because Degas's point is that the, the cash generation is going to go uh, to, to the uh, buying back shares and to protecting that overall dividend. So I think that's the right position to maintain being long to energy equities. And overall, on the pricing of oil, I think it's going to be an environment like 2011 to 2014, where the average price of oil was $95. I mm. th- could see us trading in that type of range below that kind of parabolic high uh, from a couple of weeks ago. I mean, Dr. J, you got Diamondback calls, Kinder Morgan calls, SL. Oh, John dropped out. Well, John has a lot of calls, trust me. Diamondback, Kinder Morgan, Schlumberger, <laughs> XLE, Devon. It's his biggest sector exposure, even though we can't tell you about it. I'll, I'll tell you about it. So, I don't know, we'll find out what he's doing. Up next, he's going to do unusual activity. Hopefully, he's back. And I'll ask him about the energy positions as well. Before we go to the break, check the S&P sector heat map. Led by the sector that John Najarian can't talk about this moment because he's not here. Energy. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back. We're going to do unusual activity, but John Najarian is back. He's on the phone. It's the best we can do right now. Doc, (laughs) energy. (laughs) I want to know if the trade has topped out, and you have a lot of exposure here. I said Diamondback, Kinder, Schlumberger, XLE, Devon. 
Energy is your biggest sector exposure. All of those that I just read or calls. What do you think? Yeah, I, I still think those go higher, Scott. Uh, Schlumberger is one Pete did with you just a couple days ago as well, SLB. And uh, I think all of them continue to work, um, even if the war mercifully ends. The sanctions against Russia are not going to end. And obviously, uh, the cutback because of the Black Sea uh, terminal that got hit by some bad weather and got knocked out and basically another million barrels just kind of randomly taken off the market. That is why we're seeing prices shoot up all the way back to 114, 115 for uh, WTI. And uh, I think that continues, Scott, for basically months. Are we going to be up and down in energy? Yeah. And Mark Fisher and Joe would be better about telling you about that. But I believe that we're going to see higher prices for longer. That's why I'm holding those stocks, just like Degas has done with his uh, BP today. So tell me unusual. What do we have today? All right. Unusual. Let's start it off with BABA. Talk just a little bit about it because of unusual activity. Again, a couple weeks ago, and right now, BABA continues to surge higher. Um, This stock, you know, basically below 100 to now 120, and they're buying the 125 calls that expire in two weeks. Um, April 8th, not the 1st of April, but April 8th expiration. Uh, they bought a lot of those 125 calls. Second one, IOVA, I-O-V-A, biotech play, biopharma, if you will, um, in the cancer space, seeing some nice performance today. And they're buying big upside calls that are out $10 above where the stock is right now. Scott, you know I'm not going to trade those, but I'm going to trade them at the money The fact that they're pushing these and the fact that they're going to be at a number of conferences in the coming weeks makes me think maybe there's some good news coming for IOVA, and that's why I'm in that stock. Okay, good stuff, Doc. Thank you very much. Coming up, Adobe shares are tumbling after a disappointing outlook. Shannon Sakosha is on the hot seat next. Why? Because she says it's her favorite stock. Yikes. We're back after this. All right, we're back. I'm not even going to read this, but I'm just going to go to Shannon. Shannon Sakosha, Adobe, your favorite stock is getting hammered today. What do we do? Um, Well, we take a big step back. Had a good day yesterday, and certainly we saw disappointment here. So if you think about Adobe, you want to think about digital media. And so obviously there's the perception that a lot of this was pulled forward as companies accelerated their footprint in digital media on the back of the pandemic. However, if you think about the installed base that Adobe has, the fact that they're growing 15% earnings, the fact that they're trading it 27 times, that's a pretty attractive peg ratio versus the S&P 500. The other thing is, is that the embedded um, users of the Adobe suite are across all of the digital marketing departments at all of these companies. And so there are going to continue to be plenty of growth. The last couple of quarters, there's been some questions on execution, and I think that's what you're seeing in the stock price today. Um, We definitely want to see that annual um, revenue per user increasing over the course of the second half of the year. And that should come from new products versus pricing. Um, But overall, I think that if you talk about TAM, and we do all the time, there really is continuing to be growth in the digital marketing space. That is not going to abate just because we're coming out of the pandemic. Let me ask you more specifically. It's very easy to say something's your favorite stock when it's going up and it looks great. Is it still your favorite stock today? 
Absolutely. Um, we have a significant overweight in our portfolio in this stock. Um, you know, if, if we did not, we would be adding to it here. Uh, and I think that if you look at your kind of cloud and hybrid positioning in your portfolio, you have Adobe, you have Salesforce. I think that the combination of those two really speaks to the way business will be done in the future for both small businesses and large enterprises. Joe, you used to own Adobe. I, I did. And it's clearly a quality company, as uh, Shannon rightly describes it. I think it was up against some tougher comps here, and there was an impact from exiting uh, Russia and Belarus that had an uh, impact on this, this quarter. So I think it's a recovery story over the coming quarters. It's growth at a reasonable price. And if you're desirous of owning a technology name that's qualitative in its nature, then you would step in and buy it here. So it's a name I would look at. Okay. Degas, you still own Adobe, don't you? We do, and, and we continue to hold it as one of our favorite stocks also. So I'm joining Shannon and also Joe, because ultimately, if even if you look at the Russian uh, issue about getting out and stopping subscriptions to Russia and Belarus, it's only less than 1% of their annual revenue, about $75 million. So that's not the real big issue here. That's the driver for the price going down. What the market sentiment saw was that there was not further guidance for the four-year guidance. And because the company stepped back from doing that because we're so early in the year that they didn't want to put out new guidance. And that's what the uh, market reacted to. Once again, it's oversold, and this is an overreaction by the market. I mean, cloud stocks this month, you know, Adobe, you know, obviously the move today. DocuSign's down 17%, Zoom 11, Datadog 9, Teladoc 10, Coupa 14. Gonna be closely watched in the days ahead. We're answering your questions next. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back in two minutes. All right, time for Ask Halftime, and it is a video question for the committee. Hi, my name is Nigel Sampson. I'm in Lyman, Maine. My question for the team is, what do they see as the prospects for AbbVie this year? We chose that because we had a lot of ownership. Shannon, you own it. Degas, you own it. Joe, you own it. And Doc, you own Calls. So what about it, Doc? Mm -hmm. Why don't you go first? What are the prospects for AbbVie this year? Sure. Um, I like it. Uh, it's a 3.5% dividend yielder, Scott. Um, so you're getting paid to wait. They're presenting at several big conferences, again, with uh, some very critical areas of healthcare care uh, that they address. So uh, any good news could really spike the stock. Uh, it's one that uh, is located just north of uh, Chicago, and uh, I drive by the headquarters a lot. Uh, a lot of people that are working there seem pretty bullish, so I like the company. What do you stop when you're driving past there and ask the employees how they're feeling, Doc? What do you mean? <laughs> uh, sometimes I go skiing with some of those folks. <laughs> okay, just checking. Uh, Shannon, you own it. Mm -hmm. I do. And actually, Scott, we just trimmed this stock last week um, because it's done very well relative to the market and to the rest of healthcare. Um, I would look at several key, to, to John's point, we have several key pipeline data points that have come out this year that have been pretty positive. Um, really speaks to the ability of AbbVie to focus their next gen pipeline. But healthcare in general is, is you know, our second favorite uh, sector. And AbbVie is a great way to play that um, a little bit further away from some of the binary nature of biotech. Um, and so if you're looking to increase your healthcare exposure, which I think you should in this environment, this is a great stock to own. So let, let's go more broad then, Degas, rather than continue to sing the praises on a stock that I know you own and you, and you, and you like or you <laughs> wouldn't own it. 
What about what Shannon just said to end there? Healthcare, is that a good place to be right now? And if so, why? Yeah, it's a great place to be because ultimately you're looking at more of a defensive sector as we go into rising interest rate environment because these companies have what's called pricing power uh, because they're going to have demand for their treatments, their drugs. Also, a lot of these companies have patent protection. And so that's going to mean that there's going to be a low ability to substitute for these uh, treatments and, and drugs. And lastly, there's barriers of entry because all the research and research development they've put into finding these drugs. So healthcare is a great place to actually invest in this particular market. So let me ask you this. We'll button it up with one more on AbbVie, Joe. Since you own it, you've owned it for a long time, and you're up 42%, mm -hmm. and the stock has hit an all-time high or an intraday high uh, today. Do you, do you keep holding it, or do you take some profits? So I'm, I'm going to shut I'm going to shock you because you're going to say, well, this is a classic example of buy high, sell higher. I, I like what Shannon's doing trimming here. There's a lot of good news that's priced into mm. the stock without question. It is a quality company. I would hold it, but I wouldn't initiate a position here and I wouldn't add to a position here. OK, want to let you know that coming up on March 30th, that's next week, CNBC's Healthy Returns is back. We feature CEOs of Walgreens, Johnson & Johnson, United Healthcare, plus actionable insights from top investors and much more. Looking forward to that big event. Go to CNBCEvents.com to register. You can scan the QR code that's right there on your screen as well. We'll step away. When we come back, we'll do final trades. Mentioned earlier, tune in today, 4 o'clock Eastern time for overtime. Tom Lee will join me on set at Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange and we will talk about these markets that we're in. All right, D gets right. Before we go, you have a new position in LMT, Lockheed Martin. Lockheed, exactly, Lockheed, largest defense contractor globally. And it's the drivers here for the catalyst. It produces the F-35 aircraft and it produces 150 of those a year. The U.S. Department makes up about uh, 71 percent. It has international sales of 28 percent. And obviously, uh, unfortunately, with the uh, Ukraine, Russia-Ukraine war, Germany is going to be increasing their military spend from 30 billion U.S. up to 100 billion U.S. That's going to be a market driver for uh, Lockheed Martin. So we like the company okay. and that's why we uh, purchased it this week. Oh, good stuff. Give me a quick final trade if you could. Yes, Cadence Design System. It makes the design tools to develop microchips, and it has a 20% earnings growth rate. Thank you. All right, Joe Terranova, what you got? Amazon. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I will get into this stock. This stock has the most potential for upside of the fangs. Obviously, it's going to be splitting here at the end of the quarter. And it's about to retake the 200-day moving average, which it hasn't been above since the early days of January. You let us know when, not if, you buy it. I will. Doc. I will. Yes, GES, Scott, accelerated stock uh, buyback. I love this one. Okay. And finally, Shannon. Costco, thoughtful expansion of a brick and mortar, and none of these customers are going away in an inflationary environment. Good stuff. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. 
So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.